What's up, Fight Fans? You are listening to MMA Daily, the podcast where we bring you the latest in the world of mixed martial arts. I'm Gabriel. You can find me on social media at Double G on TV. And I am joined by my always amazing co-host, Miss Natalie Zamudio. Hey, Gabriel. How's it going? It is good. It is Wednesday, sorry, Thursday, March 28th, 2019. Okay, so last week, and I think I brought it up, that, you know, the fish weren't really biting with MMA news, and we recorded it, I think, on Tuesday. Um, things obviously, you know, got thrown in the blender since then, and I almost feel like you could have done two shows for this week. It's just really been a crazy one. I mean, I just, I didn't even, like, we're going to start with Nashville, but I almost feel like, you know, that's like yesterday's news, but so much that's been going on. So, yeah, it's just been really busy in the fight game. How about you? How have you been feeling with everything going on? It's been crazy. Like, I'm starting to get, like, you know, the phone neck cramps because I keep looking at my phone to see what other news is coming on. I'm a little bit like, can can people please stop making dramatic life choices, please, for a second so we can yeah, get a break? But, yeah. yeah, like in the middle of the night when I'm watching TV. And... Of the night, yeah. You know, that one, I'm, like, even surprised I saw it. I know, you know we can get into it later, but... I was shocked at how many people actually saw it, like, at that hour. How many of us are actually on our phones? But anyway. <laughs> I mean, so I was, you know, I was sliding through trying to find some memes, but that's the way life went. <laughs> but look, yeah, guys, um, a lot to break down. There's going to be a lot of news, a lot of fights, a lot of stuff. Uh, let's get right into it, though. UFC Nashville, um, first time there in, I think, a little bit over a year, maybe. Stephen Thompson. Anthony Pettis, um, Natalie, this one, I don't know what Anthony Pettis is eating, drinking, what he's doing in the gym, but he went from showtime to being like the assassin. I feel like he was just relentless. He took a lot of hits. He stayed in there with a really tough wonder boy who was really winning the fight, in my opinion. And uh, that ending, I mean, that, it wasn't a showtime kick fantastic but it really was you know that punch out of nowhere I legitimately was like what like what just happened a very impressive performance for Anthony um moving up what were your thoughts on the fight oh man my heart still hurts you know I love Wonder Boy uh, but I can't be mad at Anthony Pettis I don't think I don't think he shot the world as hard as Masvidal did <laughs> by knocking out there until in London but yeah as you said what a crazy Sneaky, vicious knockout. I was really happy to see Thompson piecing up Pettis for, like, the first round and a half. And then, you know, five seconds left, round two, Pettis pulls, pulls the showtime, right? Um, literally, yep. like, wipes the memory of Stephen Wonderboy Thompson. If you saw any of his post, you know, post-fight reactions on Instagram or his interview on the MMA Hour, he's, he's like, I don't even remember what happened uh, until I was in the locker room, you know? So that's terrifying you know it's a great game-changing victory for anthony pettis uh maybe not so bad for wonder boy he did tell luke thomas on on monday that uh you know the fire he's actually excited again the fire has been reignited he's ready to get back to work only wonder boy thompson responds to some a knockout like that with like extreme positivity 
But Anthony yep. Pettis is back to work, too. He's already training. These two guys are really amazing ambassadors for MMA for how to be humble in victory, humble in defeat. I can't wait to see who, I can't wait to see who they fight next. And I'm still really yep. heartbroken for Wonder Boy Thompson. <laughs> no, I mean, uh, I, I was shocked because I was like, this is, you're doing your thing. And I felt like everything we talked about, everything I'd said at least, was coming true. Um, Anthony, uh, physically, uh, look, he's not out of shape. Don't get it twisted. But there's a, the leanness that he looks at 155. And at 170, you know, it's like, yeah, I hit the gym, but I also hit the buffet. You know what I mean? He was just <laughs> carrying that extra weight. And it's like, you know, no offense, but the thing that makes Anthony so dangerous He's so quick. He's lightning fast. He's, you know, a very athletic guy. We've seen that plenty of times that I thought that carrying that little bit was going to affect the things that make Anthony Pettis so good at 155. Um, look, he hasn't looked like he's trying to go for as much, you know, ninja stuff as, you know, they said during fight week. But really, he's just biting down on his mouthpiece. He's getting in people's faces and you know, maybe he doesn't feel like, you know, the other way he was doing it is working for him. And um, I, I think it paid off. I think that the Anthony Pettis of two years ago would have probably um, come up short against Wonder Boy. But after you see him against Tony Ferguson, even Dustin Poirier, uh, I listened to him and um, uh, about the blanket, Duke Rufus, his coach, and you hear yeah. about, you know, they're just uh, – you know, just refurbishing everything and just working on their relationship. I think it just says a lot about where Anthony Pettis is at right now in 2019 as opposed to, you know, the former champion, the Wheaties guy, the young guy coming up who's jumping off the cage. So I think you got a really good glimpse of just where Anthony Pettis is at. He's not over the hill. He's not, you know, he's got plenty left in the tank when a lot of people thought maybe – you know, maybe these injuries have caught up to him. So all of that stood out to me personally in terms of how did Anthony Pettis, you know, come back to get the job done against a, you know, once again, I'm with you, a really tough, really good guy in Stephen Wonderboy Thompson. Moving forward, yeah. he almost made it more complicated because he said, I'm not going to fight Ben Askren or Tyron Woodley because people forget that Anthony Pettis came with these guys. He said he's cool with Jorge Masvidal. And I'm almost like, Anthony, you kind of need to fight somebody, man. You kind of need to take a few names off that list. So um, let me toss it to you. Anthony Pettis is a welterweight now. I, uh, I'm going to throw it out there. I don't see a return to 155 happening, but if you do, you can flip the script on me. Who do you think is next for Anthony Pettis? I think it will be – I think he'll get what, what I heard him mention at least uh, at some point after the fight, and that's RDA. I think he'll get RDA. He wants that one back. He was embarrassed by him uh, at 155 when he lost his belt. If you heard Anthony Pettis talking to um, was it Brett Okamoto, he really, he really opened up about how much that affected him. And he's like, the guy just beat me up. He took me to town. And Anthony Pettis right now, in his mind, he's, I think, stronger than we've seen him in years. He's ready to, to not take, take that one back. And then from there, I don't know. You know, there was sort of talk of Connor, but that's a whole other yarn. You know, if I tweet something, I'm pretty sure people could get, you know, I want to fight Connor McGregor too, and I think <laughs> I could get him to make it happen. You know, look, it's a sign of the times, and, you know, 
all things aside, everybody who's winning seems to be able to get that acknowledgement from Connor saying he's ready for the dance. Um, the RDA thing, I like it. I like it for the rankings. If I'm being honest, though, I feel like Kevin Lee, because he's already matched up with RDA, could throw a wrench in the works. Um, the problem is, like, okay, they just announced another fight with us, which is Tyron and Robbie Lawler. I feel like that opens the door for Ben Askren Jorge, which obviously means the Leon Edwards, we thought he was going to get three-piece Minnesota back. I think that Edwards could be a good move for Anthony. You know, Edwards, I don't see him getting like a guy like a Pontinibio, um, someone like that who's on another run. So I really feel like Edwards and Anthony Pettis stylistically makes sense. Ranking-wise makes sense. He's on a tear, and Anthony just took out the number three guy in Wonderboy. So I think that that matchup, for my money, is the one that I see happening. Um, just the Kevin Lee fight, which I think is still a ways off. I think it's still like, isn't it set for like May or June? It's going to yeah, be a minute I before totally, he's already back in there. I totally forgot about that matchup. So, yeah, that can't happen. I, I, yeah, yeah, I don't know when Anthony's going to be ready to go. Like I said, he's training, but his nose was banked, was kind of, you know, pushed in yeah. <laughs> a lot of it. It looked like, I don't know if he's broken. He said like, Oh, I always bleed from my nose. He kind of like just dismissed it. Um, but he was getting worked in the face, but yeah, I'm, I'm with you then because yeah, REA is already booked. So it's gotta be somebody else. Yeah. Uh, I think I got to point out before we move on to MMA news, we have a lot. Um, I think it was Paul Felder on the call. Wonderboy, you know, he stands and he gets Anthony with just this crisp, you know, three-punch combo. And Paul Felder doesn't miss a beat. And he says, did he just give him the three-piece and a soda? And I was like, oh, my God, man. <laughs> I, I was, was dying. I was like, dude, you, you, you see what imagination does for you in the fight game? You know, <laughs> that thing has been happening all week. Yeah, no, he had but, to get uh, it in there before it, uh, before it expires. Um, it's still uh, it's still usable <laughs> right now. <laughs> it's, it is funny, man. But no, look. So we had a lot happen. Um, people, I mean, if Twitter is to be believed, the MMA world has been flipped upside down. Uh, I was just chilling at home, and I think uh, I saw it. I remember the tweet was not like five, ten minutes old yet, and you know the top story: Conor McGregor made a quick announcement to say he is retiring from the fight game. Um, he offered up proper pina coladas, I guess is his next uh, alcoholic venture. Um, uh, when we have stuff like this happen, which we could discuss all day, which every sportscaster and every sports show from ESPN to Fox and everywhere else has done, I try to get through it in as few words as possible. I'm going to go first, and I'm going to say it's, uh, you know, I see this. He has not retired. If he is going to, it hasn't happened yet. This is, you know, he's trying to negotiate more money, and Dana White's comment saying he's happy for him, that's Dana White calling his bluff, if you ask mm -hmm. me. Dana White yeah. is saying, you know what, you want to leave? Go ahead. You know, don't try to pull this trick like you did a few years ago for more money. Now, Looking at the situation, Connor, you know, they're saying, you know, co-main events like that. Look, he hasn't won a fight in a while. 
you know, uh, yes, technically um, his last uh, MMA fight. Are you there? Can you hear me? Yeah, it was cutting out a little bit. Oh, sorry about that. Um, okay, so we're still in the air. So like I was saying, but he's lost to Mayweather. He's lost. I hate to say it, but I feel like more guys have figured him out at 155. They have his number. You look at the top five, you got Tony Ferguson has a good ground game. Guys like Ayakinta, Habib, obviously, Dustin Poirier, you know, Connor, you know, getting back to the title, he has to take out the murderer's row. Look, he's a great fighter, but those are tough matchups for anybody. And it's yeah. very hard for me to say that Connor is going to take out one or two of those guys and get back to a title shot. So if he is in the co-main event and he loses, he really does run the risk of, you know, he's not getting those pay-per-view points. Winning is a big part of the business part of the game. So if you ask me, I think all of it is just um, he tried to make a power move negotiations and it backfired. Dana White is calling his bluff and he's going to force Connor to either commit to this retirement or to, you know, take the good deal that Connor has in front of him. Connor makes a ton of money. I'm sure he, anybody who does what he does wishes they made more, but he's still easily the highest paid guy on the roster. So I think that that's Dana White checking him and saying, we are already paying you a lot. But let me toss it to you, Natalie. You know, hit me with it. What do you think is going on? So I don't believe his declaration of retirement for one second, um, but the timing uh, with the New York Times story is, like, really, really terrible. I love Connor. I want him to do more than just tweet absurd, you know, retirement announcements or challenges. I want him to take a stand. So if he really wants more money, if he wants a piece of the UFC pie, then, you know, actually I want him to, like, book an interview, go say it to the world, really say, really tell us what he wants instead of just kind of going back and forth on Twitter, which is just silly. But, if look, if he's just looking to distract us by crying wolf so we don't focus on these, the darker news that's being attributed to him, that's annoying. I, re- I really hope. I really hope either way. If, if he's if he's pulling this tactic, pulling our leg just for more money or to distract us, that's that's annoying. Or as Jorge Masvidal would say, that's that's corny. But look, he yeah. is the face of MMA still, and who better to headline a UFC event than Conor McGregor? So I kind of I kind of gonna disagree with you a little bit here because I get frustrated with the UFC when they dig in their heels on situations like this. To me, it doesn't make sense to restrict pay-per-view main events to championship bouts only. I hear what you're saying, though. He hasn't won in a while. Stock, though he's, to me, he's still the, the, the face of MMA. His stock has, has dropped a little. And, yeah, these other guys, when I think about him competing against some of the top five, you know, lightweights, I get nervous. I didn't get nervous a few years ago. I thought he was untouchable. Now I'm like, oh, you know what? That's a tough, that's a tough battle, man. But, you know, I, I heard um, – Dana White on a podcast earlier this week on Robbie Fox's new podcast, and he's really delighted, as we know, to operate his business with an iron fist. But I just don't understand that perspective. I really don't. I think, Dan, digging your heels in on the championship fight only for main events is really weird to me. But 
of course, like all this retirement main event talk is kind of moot if these allegations coming out of Ireland are true. I mean, there's not much, there's no real evidence apart from, you know, the basics about what's happened over there. So what else can be said? But I think we're just generally in a wait and see mode here with Conor McGregor. A lot to unpack. I think that um, first to address the allegations, if I'm being honest, it's very tough with these because, you know, look, anyone who's a hardcore MMA fan, you hear, even people who don't watch more than one UFC fight a year, you know, like my barber would, you know, ask me about stuff, and I know they wouldn't be able to tell you, you know, anyone besides maybe Conor and Habib or someone like that. But, you know, they'll bring it up. It's like, is it true Conor is in trouble with the cartel or he's got the baby mama drama or, or something? Everything, you know, that when you're a star like him seems to revolve, especially when you're outspoken like he is. I know I saw the allegations before, especially yeah. long before this. And it was the same thing, though. I feel like people were like, is this like him with the cartel? Is it clickbait? Is it this and that? That I think that it flew under the radar. With, you know, and to real quick, so the way it works in Ireland, unlike here, if you are still in the allegedly part of the criminal justice system, the media is not allowed to write your name. That's illegal in the country. So let's say that, yeah, it is Conor McGregor. They can't write it until he's convicted. That's the way their newspapers and their news outlets work over there. Yeah. Even if, you know, it feels like it's obvious and all that, that's the reason why I think maybe it got, you know, it got hidden because you, want, you need the name in order to confirm it, and especially here in the U.S. where, you know, you don't want to get stuck doing clickbait and all that. You need a source that you can verify. And I know a lot of reporters, they were saying, you know, why didn't it come out? because we can't verify it, because no one will say his name, because that's illegal over there. All of that, wait and see. You know, I feel like there's a reason why he hasn't been convicted yet. I feel like there's another shoe to drop in terms of that story. Then in terms of the pay-per-view stuff, I think that uh, the quickest way to say it is, if this, it, either Dana White, somebody is making the decision that says it's got to be championships. And I've said, like, look, I get it. The belts look good in the pictures and the posters on the commercial. It doesn't have to be. If you have a big star, genuinely, like Steve versus John Jones could pay-per-view main event. Connor versus anybody could main event. I almost need him to say it's WME or it's ESPN. Somebody is saying, you know, that this is going on, that he is being vetoed in this decision because... I agree with you. It doesn't have to be, it, it doesn't have to hold as a rule. I think there's plenty of guys who draw bigger than a couple champions, if we're being honest. So I yeah. think that that's something that he's just got to come out and say that it's not me or something. Someone just be accountable for this rule that seems to be becoming a thing now. You know what I mean? Yep. Yeah, but look, obviously, you know. We will hear more. I think that we will hear from Connor by July, by June, and all that stuff going on. So, you know, there's going to be more to the story. But moving on, there is a lot of other stuff going on, especially for 4th of July. I am very excited for this one. So UFC 239 is taking shape, the annual 
Independence Day card for the UFC. People call it the Super Bowl of MMA because of all the pomp and circumstance. And they announced it. Two title fights, John Jones versus Tiago Santos and Amanda Nunes versus Holly Holm. Um, so obviously, uh, it, it's safe to say, arguably the two best fighters, I think, in the fight game in terms of for the men and women. Habib is getting there. DC, you know, is arguable. But I think when you look at the body of work, you have two of the most talented fighters ever who are going to be headlining the card. Um, Natalie, the blunt question, we have these two fights. Is that bigger than, let's say, DC versus Brock Lesnar to you? And maybe Connor, just to throw it out there, Connor versus Nate Diaz as the co-main event, as a lot of people were speculating for a while. Are these two fights a bigger event altogether than, let's say, those two would be? No. No. I, I can't even, there's no, like, you know, hem or hawing there. It's just straight up no. Um, DC Brock alone, I think, is bigger than Jones, Santos, Nunez, Holmes combined. And then if yep. you add DC Brock, if you had onto that, I mean, that's like, I can't even, I'm going to go blind. Like, I can't even think, of, I can't even process a card like that. That, that would be amazing. So not bigger, um, but still exciting, still big, just not like the biggest. Yeah, to me, I mean, it, it felt like all the pieces were coming together. Um, WrestleMania is, I think, next week. Brock Lesnar is scheduled to be there, but his contract is, like, supposed to be up, so to speak. He signed a new one last year, a little close to the original Daniel Cormier, you know, the whole Fourth of July thing they did there. So it yeah. kind of felt like, okay, DC should be on the mend about this time. Brock is done with WWE. You know, they haven't announced anything yet. I feel like it seemed like all the dominoes were rolling toward that conclusion. So the fact that they pulled the trigger on this surprised me. The fact that it happens the same week as Conor McGregor seems to be trying to make a power move, you know, that makes more oh, sense. Yeah. yeah, so I feel like there's a little bit of, uh, you know, smoke and mirrors going on with the way the UFC put it together. I would say that maybe six years, maybe even four years ago, you didn't need to have, you know, the, the, you didn't have to worry about it. The 4th of July was the only card that, you know, if the biggest fight was available, you made that happen, period. We've seen over the last two years, like um, last year, Connor and Habib was in the middle of October, biggest event of the year for MMA. Uh, two years before, like the year before, two years before that, Connor versus Nate Two, biggest card of the year. You know, I think we've started to see that even though there's all the circumstance, international fight week, the, you know, blah, 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 all the promotion they put into it, it isn't, the 4th of July card doesn't have to be the biggest one anymore. I feel like UFC, they do it maybe as a tourist attraction in Vegas, but at the end of the day, we've seen it. The biggest fights are what end up being the biggest events each year, whether that's Connor, whether that's uh, John Jones versus somebody. Um, and I think that when you're really seeing that, it's not really a surprise that they did choose to announce this before possibly maybe they could have still done DC versus Brock, in my opinion. But I want to ask you, what do you think went into the decision-making? 
that's a good question. I hadn't really pondered that, but I, I like the line you were you were tracking there about the timing with Connor's announcement for retirement. Like, I, I would be curious to know if they maybe pushed the uh, the closing of these uh, of these agreements a little bit more, knowing that Pop was kind of occupying the headlines in a big way this week, and this kind of muted it a little bit, right? Like all of a sudden yesterday it was announcement, announcement, announcement. It was like, okay, now we're talking. UFC's got a lot of exciting things going, none of them which include their biggest star, Conor McGregor, right? So when Dana White says we have plenty of stars, we don't need him, or implies that at least, then yesterday was proof of it, right? Um, yeah. So as far as the, the, the matchups in general, yeah, I'm excited. I mean, uh, Nunez home, Nunez is a ridiculous power. She has, you know, created a, a already cemented her legacy, I think, in beating Rousey and Cyborg. Home is yep. an interesting choice um, because of her record in the UFC. It's such a strange record, like two wins out of her last six fights. And the wins are, you know, Megan Anderson at 145. So it was an impressive win. It, it was an impressive win because of the size difference and how Home beat her on the ground mostly. But then the other one's Betch Cohea. And even though that was like a highlight KO with that, that question mark kick, still not like an amazing opponent. So what's interesting yeah. to me is that Holmes' name still has such huge value just from her knockout of Ronda Rousey. And, and of course, her kickboxer boxer pedigree. Like that, that has, carries a lot of weight for her still. So I was kind of, even though there were already, you know, sort of there were rumblings about this being the matchup for, for Nunez, I am still a little surprised that Holmes is, has this much cash, cachet at the UFC, but I like her. She's in ridiculous shape right now. You know, to get personal on her, she's coming off of divorce, and it seems like the fire has been reignited in her. So I'm very <laughs> excited to see what she brings. And you know Greg, Jack, Jack, Greg Jackson, Winkle John, you know they're going to come up with, like, a crazy game plan because I think that they, they really feel like this is Holmes' chance to, to, to rebound from her losing the belt and from, like, the little bit of a slump she's had. This is her chance to really make her name again, remind people why she is one of the best female fighters. So um, in that regard, I'm excited for it. Joan Santos, I don't have much more to say. It's going to probably be a barn burner um, at the start, and then we'll see what Joan does once he figures out Santos. But they're both exciting matchups. I can't, I can't complain. It's not, mm, yeah, it's not the DC Brock uh, fight we were expecting at the beginning of the year. Like, we thought that would be the the matchup. I guess not the beginning of the year, but once DC yeah. declared that he wasn't going to retire right away, then we thought, okay, this is going to be the one. They're going to slot in for July. Not happening, but I'm still okay. I'm still happy. Yeah, yeah I mean, I think with the storylines, Jones, you know, look, if he's going to shut the, like, I like that he's this busy. I like that we're about to get, you know, six John Jones fight, or three John Jones fights in six months. I think that's oh, yeah. awesome. Um, uh, I don't appreciate the fact that he faked this out with the Stipe talk like four hours before that announcement. I thought that was a little um, not cool because now it kind of took the wind out of the sails of the Santos Agreement you know, fight, which uh, I wonder how close they were, <laughs> how much he was actually involved in all of that going on. I feel like we all got punk there. But look, it, it's a great fight. Like you said, stylistically, Santos brings it. John Jones is John Jones, and I think that comes together. I like the idea of like that 
I feel like this is kind of that last, you know, the last hurrah for Holly Holm, in my opinion. Mm -hmm. I think that stylistically, she poses a lot of interesting issues for Amanda Nunes. I think that Amanda, um, look, you you take out someone like Cyborg, you're going to look, I don't care who she's fighting, she's going to look invincible. And she probably Mm -hmm. feels that way too, rightfully so. I think that when you look at 135, you look at Holly, can she keep it at a distance? Can she keep Amanda at the end? Can she keep that distance which she's so good at that Holly is capable of it, which make this, makes this an interesting fight? But you, you're talking about, like you just said, with Holly Holm and her record. I know she's coming off that win over Megan Anderson, but also, like, look, like the Aspen Ladd fight got canceled and re- renegotiating and all this going on. We're kind of like, is Holly Holm still that person? Like, I think this is going to be a year since, uh, more than a year since the Megan Anderson fight. And then you've got Amanda Nunes, who just had the biggest upset in the history of women's MMA ever, that might even ever happen, if we're being honest. It's very hard to, you know, it, it's a very David versus Goliath thing. And yes, Holly's been in those shoes before, but still, it makes it very interesting because you know that this could be it. This is the last title shot, it seems like, for Holly Holm. And that storyline does make more of the drama. Like I said, it isn't the superstar Brock against DC, but, you know, it is still a great card. And I think that's it. The delivery maybe took the wind out of the sails because of what Jones was saying, because maybe the Connor news. I think that's why we're not more, the MMA world is not as pumped up as it was, would have been maybe a week ago. Yeah, for sure. But look, yeah, we got to... Yeah, definitely. But look, we got to fight, and we've been saying that. We want these guys to just get in there and throw down. So, you know, not to look the gift horse in the mouth either. Moving on, there was another welterweight clash announced. We mentioned it earlier. Tyron Woodley versus Robbie Law. I just had it a minute ago. Uh, Jim. So late summer, or sorry, early summer. Uh, Natalie, I like this one. I think that Robbie, I, if you asked me a year ago, I'd say, well, obviously he was injured, but even before the RDA fight, I'd say that Tyron Woodley is kind of just riding too much of a high. I feel like Robbie Lawler seemed a little more vulnerable than in years past. Um, he Physically, he looked like the old Robbie Lawler against Ben Askren. I feel like he's taken enough time to properly heal a lot of these nagging injuries. And I think that when you consider Tyron trying to regroup after that loss to Kamaru Usman just a few weeks ago, this really is a very entertaining fight. I think that the first one promised a lot of fireworks, even though it ended early. So to run it back now when you know they're both still so capable, I like it. I think it's a good matchup, and I think it moves them along pretty well. What about you? Yeah, I like it, too. Based on how Robbie Lawler looked against Ben Askren, yeah, you're talking about the old Robbie Lawler being back for sure, the way he slammed him down, hammered his face. I'm actually worried for Tyron Woodley on this one, which is which is part of what makes this matchup so exciting. To me, this is going to be a real shot at redemption for both of these guys, you know, Rob to avenge his title loss to Tyron, and Tyron to do the same, the one that he just lost. The stakes are pretty high for both men. I think it just comes down to mental fortitude. So we saw Tyron 
collapse mentally against Usman. Robbie is such a, like, literal animal. I don't think he has it in him to break under that kind of psychological pressure, but he will want to pay Tyron back. He'll want to pay Tyron's teammate Ben Askren back through Tyron. So basically, I can't wait. I'm also terrified because Robbie Lawler is a savage. No, I think you said it perfectly. I liked the idea. I also was going to mention, yeah, the Ben Askren storyline. Tyron kind of like has to avenge his buddy, even though his buddy won. You know, it's got that weird, you know, because it was so controversial, it adds that element to this whole thing. Um, I think it's good, and I think you said it well. It really is a big do or die because when you look at the welterweight division, I mean, all of these guys are getting booked and moving up. You're talking about Anthony Pettis now in the mix. It's hard to say, like, hey, you know, you can afford to lose this one and you'll still make it to a title shot while you're still at the top of your game. That is what's so crazy about the fight game. And, you know, I think that this makes it so interesting for both of these guys that if they lose, you're talking about even with injuries, other guys are probably still going to jump ahead of them in the title picture for the next 12 months easily. So this really does come at a critical time for both guys, and I think that makes it a lot of fun. Yeah. Um, Moving on, I mean, look, so that one in June, a lot of stuff happening, actually, and I think, wait, no, they are on a different card, my apologies. So this one, I got a little, uh, I'm not going to lie, I felt a little salty about it because we get done with our show, Nothing's been happening for a few days. And then this happens maybe less than 24 hours later, and I was like, are you kidding me? So we're discussing it now. TJ Dillashaw relinquishes the Bantamweight title. Henry Cejudo will now fight Marlon Moraes for the vacant title later this June at 2.38. I want to say that one's June 9th, 8th, one of those dates. Uh, Yeah, Natalie Zamudio. Thoughts on this breaking news? Well, I mean, geez, Louise. So first, I had just, like, come around to liking TJ Dillashaw. Uh, Really, it started when he coached tough against Cody Garbrandt. I wasn't a fan prior to that, mostly because I love Dominic Cruz. But after tough, after he beat Cody, I began to admire him, and I really got into the storyline of, you know, his training with Sam Calavita and, you got Aaron Pico there and Juan Archuleta, all these, and Cubs, I think Cub Swanson too, you know, and he was really winning me over. I didn't like how much he complained about his loss to Henry Cejudo. I understand his gripes. I, I get it, but I just wish he had been a better sportsman about it. But let me say this too, which I'm, in my head I'm like, should I say it? But I'm going to say it. So I, there are only certain fighters that based on like the eyeball test, where I thought, hmm, maybe maybe there's something up there with the with the supplements they're taking, right? TJ Dillashaw look was kind of one of those for me, based on certain random you know things that I knew to be or thought to be traits of someone on a substance. But I'm just some yokel from Montebello. I have no evidence to back anything up. But my reaction to this news was like surprised, but not surprised. I like that he jumped the gun and sort of spilled his own beans. I like that he gave up the belt immediately. You know, it was a smart PR move, whether that was his intention or not. This way, like the fan and the media conversations can be more productive because we, we know he's out of the picture for, 
for a year and the belt is open, so we don't have to include speculation on what's going to happen with him, you know, while we talk yeah. about it. So I appreciated it, but gosh, man, what a weird, just of all things for this guy, he was talking about fighting Holloway at 145. He had these grand ambitions, and then boom, just like that, it's over. I mean, I don't know. What did you think when you saw that? You know, uh, I felt like he he is doing everything smart, but I feel like it's not going to help whenever he comes back to save face. And uh, I think when you relinquish the belt, remember, USADA doesn't put your name out there until it is for sure that you pop. Like, it used to be they announced it after you failed test number one. Then they test the B sample, which is at another lab, another doctor. They, you know, that hadn't technically come back yet, and then they're, you know. So he knew the jig was up. And I think that the fact that he admitted that so quickly, you know, he relinquished the belt, he tried to get ahead of it. Yes, on the PR point, like, look, we're not talking about TJ's court date. We're not talking about his hearing. We're not talking about this and that. He's just kind of, you know... He threw the belt out there, and then he kind of dug in the hole and kind of went into, he's going to probably go into hiding for a minute until the time is back up and he can get back out there. All of that's really unfortunate. Um, uh, I've heard a lot of stuff like a diuretic to cut to 125, and, you know, at the end of the day, like, it, it wasn't a steroid. I've heard that, and it's like, no, look, we play by the rules. And I think that, you know, even, like, look, I, I hear you. You look at a guy like Yoel Romero, you're telling me that you're supposed to believe a 40-year-old looks like that. I get it. <laughs> it's, it's very normal to be skeptical of these things when we see it. So, and don't get me wrong, Yoel passes his tests. Um, I only hope that I could be blessed with those kinds of genetics, if we're being honest. <laughs> but look, I get it. It made, I, I hear what you're saying. It makes sense. Uh, TJ is very cut. And, like, when you saw pictures of, like, Junior Dos Santos, you know, how rare it is for a heavyweight to be that ripped. And then he popped a positive for something, you know, tainted supplement. But still, look, we know what it looks like. So I think that um, to have that happen to TJ, it was, it was just a bad look. Um, for him and everything going on, you're talking about a guy who a lot of people would consider the best bantamweight we've ever seen. You know, he's got, he's beaten Cody Garbrandt twice. Uh, the Dominic Cruz fight was close, and he had the win over Henan Barrow when he was killing everybody. This kind of throws a big wrench in that, the fact that he's admitting it. And this is the kind of thing, like, after losing the title and winning it again, and now you have this happen, it's like, you know, athletes only get so lucky to be able to do that and have a great comeback. That For that to happen to TJ, I think big picture, it makes him feel a certain way. It makes me wonder if he can get there again, you know, next year. So, look, wait and see. Just like John Jones, now it is on him to get clean, stay clean, and stay out of trouble. And, you know, the media is going to – everyone's going to watch him more closely now. And he – you know, that's, that's the way it is. But, look, you know, he's, uh, there's nothing more to say. He's going to be suspended for a year. He come, he's eligible about February. The fight happened last year or this year at the end of January. So we're going to wait to see what happens. Let me toss it to you. There was a lot of talk, Aljamain Sterling, Pedro Munoz, 
Marlon Moraes is always going to be half of the equation, but what are your thoughts on them giving the fight to Henry Cejudo after everything to fight for the vacant 135 belt? Yeah, man, you know what? I don't like this match. Um, there are amazing fighters that you just mentioned at 135, champion at the bit for the 135 belt. To me, it's not right for the 125 guy champ to get the first crack. Can he get, can he get a shot? Yeah, but the first one, uh, it, do, it doesn't matter to me, you know, despite my love for Henry Cejudo, who I really do admire, it doesn't matter to me that he beat TJ at 125. Like, this is the next division up. I know he, that's what he wanted. He wanted to go up. But he wanted to go up and fight TJ. TJ's out of the picture. It doesn't make sense to me. Of course, as you said, Marlon, that's the correct A side to challenge for the belt. No doubt. I thought the B side should have been Pedro Munoz because he KO'd Cody, the former champ at 135. So sure. I, I love a good double champ scenario like the next guy, but this isn't one of those scenarios. To me, it's not necessary. I don't think Henry's owed a shot. I get it. Henry is a great, like, really good promoter. When he was selling the 125 fight with TJ on ESPN, I mean, he was charming. He was uh, telegenic. He, he does a great job, and he's going to do a great job to sell this fight. So I understand from that perspective. And, you know, I don't think Marlon versus uh, anyone else at 135 could be sold as well. So I understand, but I just feel like, Someone at 135 should have gotten the shot against Marlon. But I'll still watch, and, you know, it's going to be a good fight. So I guess in that regard, I can't complain. I think to me, <laughs> excuse me, what it came down to was the marketing. Henry Cejudo just being the 125 champion, uh, I can't remember. I think they are, I think they're the main event, and they have uh, someone else as the co-main on that one. I'd have to go back and look at it, but... um. I feel like the marketing-wise, it made sense. Respectfully, Marlon versus Pedro on paper as a fight is great. When you're talking about putting a poster and selling pay-per-views for a belt, maybe it's more difficult without that more recognizable A-side. And I think yeah. that, to me, was where it got a little, um, it got a little more complicated. I'm not going to lie, it's bothering me because I feel like they announced something else for that uh, card and I can't think of it right now so um, but yeah so I, that, that could be the only thing I can think of um, Al Jermaine and uh, Marlon everyone's saying it we all see it Al Jermaine has improved and he's been working on his game since the loss to Marlon about a year ago and uh, that fight would have been good too Pedro throwing down with a guy like Marlon that's fun um, but look I think that you have a very interesting situation I think it is a very funny that they're both managed by Ali, and, you know, you're mm -hmm. kind of wondering what he's going to say after being so vocal with Ariel Hawani, and, you know, is he publicly going to state something about the fight? I think that that makes it all interesting, but look, I think that they're two talented guys, and uh, I'm trying to take the politics out of it and say, you know what, just enjoy the fight on this one, because it was one of those cases. I think Henry... If he weren't the 125 champion, he definitely wouldn't be getting it. But look, he's also put in his work. He's coming off some big wins that, you know, the UFC feels fit to pencil him in there against Marlon. Yeah, I mean, I'll definitely watch, of course. So they got me on that one. Yeah, it's, it's another, it is another day in the wacky world of MMA, Natalie. <laughs> but yeah, look, that, that one's going to be coming up in the summer, so I think it's cool, a good precursor to everything going on at 4th of July. But we don't have to wait that long. 
Dude, it might be the most in the well. I, I, I've said this before, so I need to be careful. I was gonna say insanely packed weekend of MMA. I think there was once like a back-to-back UFC and Bellator, like four fight cards between Friday and Saturday. That was ridiculous. This one not that bad, but it is still stacked. You have Bellator on Friday. You have UFC on Saturday. And then 1FC on Sunday, the debuts of Demetrius, Eddie Alvarez, and everything going on over there. So it is a crazy weekend, but we're going to keep it, you know, just nice and short to the point in Philly. Uh, Let's talk about one of the feature fights first. You, I know you're a big fan of this one. Karolina Kovalkiewicz against Michelle Watterson. Natalie, break down this fight for me. Oh, man. Okay, we're still two days away from this fight. My heart already hurts. I really love both of these fighters. They're two of my favorites in all of the UFC, not just for their fight styles, but for their personalities. They're charming. They're, I mean, I don't know how else to say this, but they're also really cute. Like, they just have the best, you know, positive personalities. They're great fighters. Um, I literally go back and forth on who takes this one. Carolina's taught She has bigger, the better hands, I should say. But Watterson is really scrappy. She's smart. She improves leaps and bounds every fight. I mean, Carolina does too. <coughs> I literally cannot pick a side. I'll say this. If Carolina wins, I think it's going to be either via TKO or decision. If Watterson wins, it'll be via submission. That's kind of all I got. I'm just really excited for this, for this fight, but also really, really nervous because I don't want either of them to lose. They're fighting each other, and so one of them is going to lose. It sucks. I mean, they could always have a draw. You could get lucky. They could have a draw. I would be okay with that. Now I know what's a reward. Yeah, you know what? Uh, the weird. <laughs> let, let me say, Michelle Watterson is such a unique case. First off, I, I love her. I think she's great. She's very nice. I think she's a great ambassador for the sport. Don't get me wrong. How she, you know, she's so popular. And yet, at the end of the day, I really do feel that she struggles at straw weight. And, you know, yeah. look, quite bluntly, it's about firepower. Um, you look at uh, Jessica Andrade and what she's able to do. And then you look at Michelle Watterson. It's just a very drastic difference. And we've seen Michelle. She's struggled with, you know, Rose Namajunas and the uh, – um, I'm blanking on another one – Tisha Torres, who's uh, another um, very powerfully built girl even though she's, a lot of people say she's even undersized too. And Michelle yeah, Watterson, yeah. she's so technically good, well-rounded, well-conditioned, great ga- ground game, decent striking, um, conditioning, all of that, she puts it together very well. And yet, I feel like at the end of the day, that extra firepower just seems to be what kind of loses her a lot of these big fights. Um, and I've said that about uh, Tisha Torres. Michelle Watterson, she's one of those fighters. She almost has to have a perfect fight every time to win. Whereas, you know, when you have that kind of power, sometimes it could really bail you out of trouble in one of these, you know, close fights with these talented athletes. And I think that's something that Michelle, it's just like that one thing. And she said it. She says she doesn't feel bullied or manhandled in anything. And she does hold her own in there. But I also feel like that is one of those things that in a decision, it seems to be that difference when she came up short in some of these fights. And that's where Carolina, mm-hmm. I think, has the advantage. Carolina, you know, she's someone who stood with uh, Rose Namajunas and took a decision. She's, um, she showed in her fight with Felice Herrick that she can grapple. It's not at the level of her striking, but it is there. Um, 
Carolina is a very tough and durable fighter. I think that Michelle puts it together better. I feel like for my money, Michelle Watterson is going to be able in a 15-minute fight to get the right positions. She's going to be able to avoid the striking, avoid the power. She's going to be able to get the takedown. You know, she's going to be able to stick and move on the feet against uh, Carolina. Carolina's more of a um, very conventional. I think Michelle Watterson fights a little more on the bike. And so I mm-hmm. think that she is going to be able to exploit that. I see Michelle Watterson taking a decision. I don't know if she can finish uh, Carolina Kovalkiewicz. What about you? Yeah, so interesting. I like your analysis. Um, I, I'm still I'm still riding riding the the fence on this one. I think that if for me I think if Watterson wins it'll be submission. Um, even though Carolina does have that you know improved defense, she did also just get knocked out hard by Jessica Andrade. Although I say just, but yeah. I actually don't remember how long ago it was. I should have looked that up beforehand. Um, You're good. So I wonder if she has any uh you know any uh any rattling in the old brain still from that, or if she's cool. Um, yeah, I still, I'm still gonna, I'm still gonna be a, be a weenie and watch the middle here and say it, it could be if Carolina wins, it'll be TKO decision. If Watterson wins, it'll be submission. But I cannot call it right now. I just, I can't. I won't. I can't. <laughs> you gotta call it, Natalie. Otherwise, we're gonna have to start beefing like Ariel and Ali on Twitter. Okay. Okay. Um, no, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. It's good. No peer pressure. I'll do it. I'm, I'm gonna, gonna do it. I'm a, I'm going to do okay. it. I'm going to say Watterson submission. <gasps> You're picking against Carolina? I don't want to, man. I'm it just dying to It literally you. hurts my heart. <laughs> I'm teasing. I kid. I joke. I joke. No, look, it's a, it's a good fight. They, they match up really well. Carolina poses a ton of problems for Watterson. I think it makes it a lot of fun. So I get it. I am completely with you. Yeah, Moving man, on to like the main it. event, this one, I was almost going to ride the fence, if we're being honest. So you have Edson <laughs> Barbosa, Justin Gaethje. Um, I, it's very hard to see a scenario where they don't get into a brawl at some point and just throw some heavy leather with each other. For my money, though, Edson Barbosa, compared to even Poirier, Eddie Alvarez, who both hit very hard in their own right, Edson can come at you like a bullet with his punches and his kicks, with the flying knees, down the middle. He can chop at you. He's quick with multiple weapons. I would argue that the other guys get you a spot. They only tend to have one if they got fast hands or what have you. Yeah. However, I'm going to tell you this, Natalie. I thought you, we've t- seen a lot of head-over-heart picks with, like, the Jorge Masvidal fight <laughs> with the Anthony Pettis fight. And every time, I love Justin Gaethje, but I kept seeing him putting his chin down, trying to charge forward, Edson half step back, and then bam, like a bullet with a flying knee down the middle, takes him out of there. I kept seeing that scenario because I know both of these fighters. I'm going to go with, I'm going to finally, you know, buck the trend. I'm going to go with my heart pick. I say Justin Gaethje gets in his face and gets the job done. Second, first round TKO. Justin Gaethje for the win. (laughs) I like the, uh, I like the hutzpah, man. I like it. Okay. (laughs) Well, yeah. Um, Holy moly is uh, how I feel about your pick. And holy moly is how I feel about this fight. Um, 
to, you know, this is going to complete a crazy month of awesome main event fights for the UFC, right? When you look yep. at the March lineup, Chilla Masvidal, Wonder Boy Showtime, and now Boza Gaethje. This last fight to me was the guaranteed barn burner. Uh, I worry for Gaethje's brain a little bit just because of how he fights, how willing he is to just get battered in the head with, you know, just his little hands up. But he has a, he has a deeper skill set that he lets on, but for the sake of putting on a, a good show, he just he just covers up and gets battered, right? And you cannot do that against Edson Barbosa. He will kick your head off if you just stand there with a simple guard and zero head movement. I expect Barbosa to outclass Gaethje on the feet. Of course you will. I mean, you know, just based on how these two guys fight, how long before Gaethje goes in for a takedown? Who knows? Because he hasn't really wrestled too much in the UFC, right? He's been really the brawler. That's, that, that's, the, um, that's what makes his fight so exciting. I don't think that, you know, to me there's no way that Gaethje is a better wrestler than Khabib. So if Barboza can survive the Eagle, I think he can survive Gaethje on the ground. And because of that, I have Barboza winning via, via TKO. I'm calling it later, though. I think they're going to go into the uh, championship, championship round here. I think round four. I think it'll be a TKO sequence. Um, I'm sorry, I think that TKO sequence will start with either a body kick or a head kick, and then who knows how it ends. But I'm definitely seeing uh, a shin, uh, Barboza throwing some kicks. or Yeah, even knees, though. You know what? You say knee to – you say that's a, that's a threat for Gaethje, right? And Barboza yep. was throwing some wicked knees in the open workout. That's to be expected. He's such an athlete. I still think it'll be a, a TKO. I'm going round four. Let's see what happens. Ooh, okay. There, I think this is the first time we've disagreed on a main event, mind you. I okay. Think this is, this is so weird. It's going to be some bragging rights come next week. <laughs> no, look, I, I, I'm with you. It's going to be a good one. It's going to be fun. I think it's going to be a, one of the – I think that this isn't going to be Justin Gaethje's entry for the fight of the year. He has like one or two every year. So it's like, yep, this is going to be – the 2019 submission, so I think it's going to be a good fight, win or lose, for either man. I think that they're going to bring out, you know, that savage in each other in the cage, so I think it's going to be a lot of fun. I'm looking forward to it, and of course, we'll be breaking that one down next week. There is no UFC, so we'll be taking stock what's going on in the MMA world, discuss the matchups going on, but two weeks from Saturday, they're going to have the big pay-per-view Holloway, Poirier, Adesanya, Gastelum. It's going to be a ton of fun. I'm looking forward to it. So, yeah, we're going to have all that for you. Natalie, it's going to be a crazy MMA weekend. We're probably going to have to touch base to make sure we're doing okay with all these fights. Where can the fans find you on social media? So, yeah, definitely. I don't know if I'm going to sleep with what with all these fights plus the weird timing of the, you know, the one championship uh, fight at like 2.30 in the morning Pacific. I don't know if I'm going to watch it at that hour. I want to, but we'll see. Uh, so anyway, the fans can find me at Rama 5 That's my Twitter. Give me a, send me a tweet. I'll tweet you back. Let's get the conversation going. There we go. And guys, you can find me all the time at Double G on TV. Just spell out the word double, and we'll be back next week. Hey, you still there?